G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you again at the letter of 1 John. Today, chapter 2, verses 3 to 17. Can I encourage you to have your Bible open, have the outline available so that you can follow along. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now to understand your word. Help us to think hard about how it applies to our lives uh, so that we can uh, be the kinds of Christians that you want us to be for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How do I know if I'm a real Christian? How do I know if, if I'm a genuine Christian? A bloke was asking me uh, this question the other day. He, um, he, he put his trust in Jesus a few years ago. He regularly attends church and uh, Bible study, faithfully serves in various ministries at church. He tries to read the Bible and to pray each day uh, by himself, with his family. But he's been struggling with pornography. He, he really wants to stop looking at it, but he keeps on falling back into the habit. He asks for forgiveness from Jesus over and over and over again. But when he spoke to me, he was feeling wretched. He, he, he wondered, is there a limit to God's forgiveness? And he wondered, how can I possibly be a real Christian when I keep on falling into the same sin? What would you have said? How, have you, how would you have answered him? How can he know if he's a real Christian? Uh, that same week, uh, that same week, I, I, I spoke to another bloke. He he prayed a prayer to become a Christian here at uh, I think it might have been an Easter service a couple of years ago, um, but but since then his life has gotten busy. He hasn't really made it to church, uh, maybe once or twice before COVID. Certainly not in the last year and a half. Not attending church. Uh, in, in fact. In fact, you'd have to say nothing has really changed in his life since he prayed that prayer. He hasn't, he hasn't told anyone that he's a Christian. He's still living with his non-Christian girlfriend. Uh, he doesn't have any habit of personal prayer. He's never read the Bible. He's never read... Um, a Christian book or, or, or watched a Christian video or anything like that. Um, he hasn't changed his ha any of his habits of, uh, of gambling or drinking. I mean, not that he's a massive gambler or a drinker or anything like that, but he, th there's been no change in his, in his thinking or his habits. Uh, and in fact, when, when we met, he said to me, he said, um, oh, you know, talking to you, it's, it's actually the first time I've even thought about Jesus or Christianity for ages. Um, he, he didn't ask me the question, how do I know if I'm a genuine Christian? But, but imagine if, if he'd asked me that same question as the other bloke I had met that week. Imagine if he'd asked me, how do I know if I'm a real Christian? How would you have answered that question for him? Or let me ask you this, would your answer be any different between those two men? Do you think either of them are Christians? Or, or maybe neither of them? Or, or maybe both of them? 
How can, how can they know? Do you get the question? How can they know if they're genuine Christians? Well, the Apostle John, he started off his letter by telling us um, how he knows the truth about Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. He touched Jesus. And then last Sunday, we, uh, we, we, we saw John talk about how, how we can be in fellowship with God. God is light. When it comes to, to sin and to darkness, he's like, a, he's like a seek and destroy missile. He'll find it and he'll judge it. So if you're going to be in relationship with God, you have to walk in the light. You can't, you can't hide your sin. Instead, you need to confess it and you need to turn away from it. And you need to find forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus. Uh, Jesus, John told us, he died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He rose again. He now mediates with God for his people. And so it's possible to be in fellowship with God. Confess your sin, turn away from it, and find forgiveness and cleansing through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to, to walk in the light. That's what it means to have fellowship with God. That's what it means to be a Christian. Friends, friends, it's really important that we get this clear. If you want confirmation that you're a Christian, you need to look outside of yourself. You need to look to Jesus. You don't want to be asking yourself, am I good enough? Have I done enough good things? Do I have enough faith? That's, that's not where our, our objective assurance lies. What we need to ask ourselves is this. Is Jesus' death enough to cover my sin? Is his blood enough to purify me from all unrighteousness? Is his mediation with God the Father effective for me? Can I trust God's promise, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if I confess my sin, he'll be faithful and just and forgive me my sin and purify me from all unrighteousness? Our assurance should fundamentally lie outside ourselves. It lies in Jesus and in what he has done for us. But the fact is, if you're trusting Jesus, it should change you. God is light. You don't become a Christian so you can continue to walk in darkness, to live in darkness. And so you should be able to see evidence in yourself that you're a Christian. You don't want to rely on that because it'll be, it'll be up and down and you'll still sin. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. You don't want to rely on that, but, but still you should be able to see it. You want to rely on Jesus, but you should be able to see in yourself that you're different. And that's what John goes on to talk about in this next section. He talks about how being a Christian should change us. 
Now, we don't know exactly what the background is here to, to, to this chapter. It, it does seem that some of the Christians had returned to Judaism. They, they were uh, Jews, they'd been converted to Christianity, but then they returned to Judaism. They were now denying that Jesus is the Christ. We're going to see more about this next week. And it, it may be that these, um, these Jews, they were criticizing the people who were still Christians. They were criticizing the Christians, saying that they don't keep God's Old Testament law. <clears throat> Whatever the background, uh, John talks now about how, about how being a Christian will change us. And the first change he talks about is this. Being a Christian will make us people who do want to obey God's commands. God is our God. He made us. He sustains us. He owns us. He will judge us. And he is light. If you think you know God, if you think you're in a relationship with God, if you think you love God, but you don't think you should obey God, John says you're kidding yourself. The very nature of who God is demands this truth. If you love God, you must obey him. That was even true for Jesus when he was on earth. He obeyed his father. And it's true for us as well. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. Have a look with me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, I know God, but, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now John says, he's not writing anything new. God has always been God. He's always demanded obedience. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, and it's true through the Old Testament and the law of Moses. God has always demanded obedience. And it's true in the gospel message as well. If you want to be in relationship with God, if you want Jesus to be your Lord, it means you need to obey. Verse 7. Difference, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. The gospel message demands obedience, just like the Old Testament does. It's always been true that God demands obedience. Although, of course, things are different now. Things are different for us in the light of the gospel. Jesus has obeyed God perfectly for us. He's, he's died for our sins and risen again and poured out God's Holy Spirit. The, the, the light of Jesus is shining into the darkness. Even now, spirit-filled Christians obey God with a new, new covenant, gospel obedience. And, and soon the day will come when we will be transformed into people who always obey God. And so even though obedience to God is an old idea, Christian obedience is something genuinely new. It's not the same as being a Jew and obeying the Old Testament. It's, it's a whole new covenant. It's a whole new relationship with God made possible through Jesus. Verse 8. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and in you. 
because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Okay, so here's the first bit of evidence that Christians should be able to see in themselves that their faith is genuine. We ought to be people who obey God's commands. And if you think about it, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, imagine, imagine you get a job. Uh, in your job, you have a boss, and you say, I really want this job, but I don't want to do anything the boss says. I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's not going to go well, is it? In the same way, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, if you want to be in fellowship with the God who is Lord of this universe, you have to obey him. John now talks about a second change that Christians should see in themselves. He says that they ought to see in themselves a growing love for God's people, for their fellow Christians. When you come into fellowship with God, you come into fellowship with his people as well. You can't love him and not love them. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. It was Jesus himself who said that the world will, will recognize Christians should recognize Christians because of the way we love each other. And here, John is saying, John is saying it's, it's a way we can recognize in ourselves that we're genuine Christians. If you find yourself um, not hating God's people, but, but feeling a real unity for God's people and a, and a desire to serve them and to help them, well, that's, that's evidence. It's evidence that God is at work in you. You're, you're living in the light. You are a Christian. At this point, John returns to the idea of the objective evidence for being a Christian. It's not ultimately our obedience to God's commands that we want to rely on. It's not ultimately our love for God's people that we want to rely on. Those things are vital, but they're not what saves us. Jesus is the one who saves us. No matter who we are, no matter whether we're old or young, Jesus is the one who enables us to be forgiven. Jesus is the one who enables us to know God. Jesus is the one who enables us to um, overcome the devil. It's, it, it's all about Jesus. John isn't writing to these Christians because, because they're good or because they love each other. John is writing to these people as Christians because Jesus has given them everything they need. Verse 12. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Whose name? Jesus' name. Your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. Objectively speaking, Jesus has done everything it takes to save these people. John can write to them as Christians because of Jesus. But the fact remains, 
Jesus saved people will be different. They will obey his commands. They will love his people. And, and, and now, John, he gets to the heart of the difference. If you're relying on Jesus, it's going to mean a new allegiance. A new allegiance. You need to stop loving the world, change allegiance, and love God instead. John talks about three aspects of love for the world that Christians need to get rid of. He says uh, that we need to stop, stop living to satisfy our appetites, whether that be for sex or food or alcohol or comfort or excitement or pleasure. John calls that the lust of the flesh, just living for food or sex or whatever it is. The lust of the flesh, that's got to go. He also says we need, we need to stop living to... To, to just get all the things that we see. We, we don't want to be just acquiring stuff all the time. That house, I want it. That car, I want it. That toy, I want it. John, John calls that the lust of the eyes. It's got to go. And the third thing he says we need to stop is, is finding our, our identity, our security, our pride in the stuff that we have in this world. John calls that the, the, the pride of life. Christians need to stop loving the world. We need to change allegiance and love God instead. You can't have both. You can't play for both teams. And the stuff of this world, it's not going to last. Soon it's going to be gone. And so John says, love God, not the world. Verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Uh, one time I went to watch my son play soccer. He was playing on a good, strong team, uh, but on that day they, they were playing against a team that was very, very weak. In fact, uh, only nine players had turned up for this team. You need 11 players on a team, whereas my, my, my son's team had 15 players, you know, people sitting on the sideline waiting to be subbed on and off. Uh, by half-time, the score was 4-0 uh, to my son's team. And, and, and so the coach did something, something that I thought was very sportsmanlike. He offered uh, to the other team, he offered for my son and one other player to join the other team for the second half. Yeah, everyone thought, isn't that a nice idea? Until my son scored two goals. Suddenly the score was 4-2. Some of the parents started to get a bit uncomfortable, as if my son was some kind of traitor. And then when I was cheering my son on, someone said, hang on, which team are you supporting? People from the old team might not like it. But the fact is... If you change teams, you change allegiance. And you don't be half-hearted about it. You don't try to help the old team while you're playing for the new team. If you change teams, you should give your all for the new team. It's a bit like that when you become a Christian. You change teams. You leave the world team... You join God's team. And so now it's time to leave the old behind. Give your all, loving and serving God, living for, living for forever. 
All right. All right, can you see what's here in this passage? John is talking about the sort of stuff you should see in yourself if you're a genuine Christian. I mean, you're a real Christian because Jesus died and rose again for you. Your sins are forgiven on account of his name. Uh, it's Jesus who has done everything that we need. It's Jesus who grants us forgiveness. Jesus who gives us knowledge of God. Jesus who gives us victory over the devil. It's all about Jesus being a Christian. But, but if you are a genuine Christian, you should see change. Three changes John talks about, doesn't he? Number one, you will. Do you remember? You'll keep God's commands. Number two, you'll, you'll love God's people. And number three, you'll change allegiance. Stop loving the world. Love God instead. Okay, let's, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. And to do that, what I want us to do today is I want us to, to come back to those two blokes we thought about at the beginning. Uh, do you remember the two blokes? The bloke who was doubting that he's a Christian because of his struggles with pornography. And then the other bloke who, who thinks he's a Christian, but it's not making any difference to his life. Now, we were asking the question, how can they know if they're genuine Christians? I reckon the answer is the same for both. The answer is exactly the same for both blokes. But in light of passages like this one here in 1 John, I, I would answer them in different ways. I'd answer them with a different, um, a different emphasis. The answer is the same. Are you a genuine Christian? Well, to answer the question, we need to look to Jesus. Ask, ask questions like this. Did Jesus die and rise again for you? Is his death enough to cover your sin? If you stand before God on that final day and he asks you, why should I let you into heaven? Will you say, because Jesus died and rose again for me, because he's cleansed me from sin, he's purified me from all unrighteousness. I mean, that is... that. That's true for both blokes, but that, that's certainly what I would emphasise for the first bloke, wouldn't you? I'd remind him. I'd remind him of what we've seen today. Your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. I'd remind him of what we saw last week. We're all sinners. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we, we, we make God out to be a liar because he says we're sinners. Of course, we should try hard to stop sinning. John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, but the, very fact, the very fact that he is struggling with sin, that's good news in itself. That's evidence of the work of God's Holy Spirit in him, fighting that battle against the flesh. And so I'd assure him, I'd say, Jesus has done everything. Doesn't, in one sense, it doesn't matter how often you sin. Jesus' death is enough to cover it all. I'd say this, but you've just got to keep coming back to Jesus, keep confessing, keep claiming the forgiveness of sins that comes on account of the name of Jesus. How can you know you're a Christian? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is your king. Jesus is your saviour. And nothing will ever snatch you out of his hands. But I think I'd have a bit of a different emphasis for the second bloke. Don't you? That, that bloke who prayed a prayer a couple of years ago, but it, it, it hasn't even thought about it really for two years. To, to him, I'd say something, something more like this. 
I mean, I'd, I'd still talk about Jesus, of course. I'd still talk about the objective assurance of how you can know you're a Christian. I, I mean, I'd say something like, oh, look, I'm so glad that you prayed that prayer a couple of years ago. I'm so glad that you asked Jesus to forgive you and save you and be your king. That's great. And friend, he's done everything it takes to forgive you and give you a place in heaven. But the thing is this. You've asked Jesus to be your king, your Lord, your boss. You've asked to be on his team. And the Bible is clear, that can't be just lip service. The Bible says, 1 John chapter 2, if you claim to know God, but you won't obey his commands, you're lying to yourself. The Bible says, 1 John chapter 2, if you claim to be in relationship with God, but you don't love his people, you're kidding yourself. The Bible says that if you say you love God, then you need to stop loving the world, stop spending your life satisfying your lusts, stop spending your life just accumulating, stop spending your life um, finding your pride and satisfaction and identity in the things of this world, and live a life of love for God and his people. And so I'd ask the bloke, mate, what do you think? Is there any evidence that your faith is real? How are you different now that you've prayed that prayer and Jesus is your Lord? Are you obeying God's commands? Are you loving God's people? Is your love for the stuff of this world being replaced with a love for God? Can you see? It's the same answer. We have to turn away from sin, confess our sin, find forgiveness in Christ. It's the same answer. Jesus is the one who saves us, but the emphasis is different. For the bloke who's trusting Jesus but struggling with sin, he just needs to be reminded of what Jesus has done. But, but for the bloke who's, who's presuming on Jesus and, and showing no evidence of faith, he needs to hear the challenge. Otherwise, on Judgment Day, he might be in for a rude shock. Friends, we need to be clear on this as well, don't we? I mean, if we're stressed about our struggle with sin, if we're wondering if we can make it, if we're, if we're, we're, we're just battling against the flesh... We'll, we need to remember that Jesus has done everything that it takes to save us. Nothing's going to snatch us out of his hands. But, but if we're tempted to think that we can have a faith in Jesus that doesn't change our lives, if we're tempted to think we can just go on living for the world and not caring about God or his commands or his people, we need to remember what John is saying here. We must see in ourselves a change of allegiance. We need to see in our lives a love for God and for his people. It is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you're the same as me on this. I do love God, but I still find the stuff of this world very tempting. And so, friends, there's the challenge. If Jesus is your saviour, you are a genuine Christian, but it means a new allegiance. He's your Lord. And so day by day, day by day, we've got to choose sides and, and, and then get on with loving God and his people. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much 
that Jesus has done everything it takes for us to be forgiven and in fellowship with you. Thank you that because of his name, our sins have been forgiven. Thank you that because of him, we know you. Thank you because of him, the, the, the devil is defeated. We've overcome the evil one. But Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in us by your spirit so that we, so that we obey your commands, so that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and so that we, we stop loving the stuff of this world and live for, for you and for forever. Give us strength to do this, please, we pray by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.